Welcome to Short Ends Podcast. Today's guest is writer and director Aaron Sanger. I'm working in a documentary um, that we're calling The Coma Club, mm-hmm. and we're basically following a group of families who met in a VA hospital for brain injuries. Um, so their loved one suffered a severe traumatic brain injury, and it's sort of you know, the family's point of view of leaning on each other through this peer-to-peer support network that they formed as they sort of navigate, you know, the next step in their lives. How did you get involved with this project? So I did a short documentary, um, I think it was 2014, called The Next Part, mm-hmm. um, which is set in a similar world. We we filmed at Walter Reed um, in Bethesda for a few months, and I was following um, Kat and Aaron Kazi, um, Aaron had basically stepped on an IED in Afghanistan and lost both of his legs, um, and also suffered a genital injury. So he was basically taking testosterone, um, as a result of that, and it was going to eventually sterilize him. And so it's, it's sort of his and his, uh, wife Kat's journey of trying to conceive before that happens and just figure out, you know, what the rest of your life looks like in the face of that injury. Um, so that project had a big impact on me and the producer of that project, Chris Ferguson, um, met one of our subjects at a event and heard her speak about her group and, um, introduced himself to her and then connected me with her and she connected me with everybody else. Um, and we basically hit the ground running from there. Well, well, yeah, so that whole network and everything. The, uh, the next part is uh, such a heart-wrenching film also, just seeing the effects of war in such a practical way like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Where are you from originally? I'm from Denver, Colorado originally, and then um, a lot of my family is in Oklahoma City. So what was it like growing up in uh, Colorado? Was your family in the film industry at all? No, they weren't. Um, they, uh, I don't know. Pretty much everyone in my family is a lawyer. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, my parents are both lawyers. My brother's in law school right now. I was sort of the odd duck who wanted to go to art school. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why. Like, <laughs> I don't know what about my, like, upbringing resulted in that different pathway. But, yeah, I, I, I didn't really come from the industry um, at all before this. Yeah, yeah. When you were a kid, were you interested in film and in the arts? Yeah, I was I was always interested in the arts mm-hmm. um, as a kid. I was actually mainly drawn to sculpting mm. for many years. Um, and then in high school, took a video production class, um, sort of just on a whim. And um, it was such a frustrating class because everything I made was terrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was just like truly, truly garbage. Um, and I could not figure out like how to make films for years. Um, and I think just like how hard the medium is was so frustrating, but also really intriguing to me. Um, so I just sort of shifted into film in high school and have been doing it ever since. At what point did you decide to apply to NYU? Um, I decided to apply my senior year of high school. I wasn't totally sold on whether or not I wanted to try to do it as my career. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it was something I really loved, but it seemed really far-fetched, um, coming from Colorado where there's not really industry here, Mm -hmm. not coming from an industry family, just sort of having no link to the industry. It would have made me really nervous to just try to do that as what I'm doing for the rest of my life. Um, so, 
you know, I basically applied to like NYU, which was my dream school and a couple other film programs. And then basically was like, if I don't get into like NYU, I'll probably go to CU Boulder and study like psychology or something. Um, and then I got into NYU and so here I am. So then at NYU, did you decide to focus on documentary right away? Or were you kind of just making general films there? Yeah, I never had any interest in documentary while I was at NYU. Um, yeah, it's funny. I A lot of my friends in Sight and Sound Film, which, um, as you know, is sort of the first film class we take, um, split off and went down the documentary track. And I stayed on the narrative track. And I was like, I don't know why they would ever want to make documentaries. Um, and then after school, the first directing job I got was a documentary. Um, and that was just such, um, a transformative experience for me making that film. That was the next part. Um, and I just really fell in love with documentary making that film. Um, so I'm really grateful that I did get that opportunity to make that movie because documentary has been so important to me over the last few years. Um, but it's not something I would have pursued, you know, had, had I not been thrown into it. I don't think. So in school, um, is that when you made Bombshell? Yeah, that was my thesis film at NYU. Okay, where did that film come from, the inspiration behind it? Um, it was sort of a mix of things. I knew I wanted to do a coming-of-age story mm -hmm. um, between siblings um, in that age range. Um, and I knew I wanted it to be really contained, you know, like the course of one day or night. And... I wanted it to focus on sort of a sibling relationship that kind of permanently changes over the course of a night. And that's the main sort of through line of that film. Um, these kids, you know, become complicit in something pretty terrible and the impact that it has on this relationship between this girl and her brother. Um, and I think at that time, I was just really struck by, there was a ton of like really awful you know cases in the media about lgbtq youth who had been bullied and committed suicide and all this stuff and that was just very present in my mind at that time so that sort of formed you know the through line of what the kids are doing in the short i gotcha yeah and then that film was the winner of nyu's first run festival is that correct it was yeah yeah i remember after rewatching it now it took me back and i remember sitting in the room uh watching the screening of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So then after college, was your first job then, was it the next part? Was that you started on that right after school? No. Um, I think I had about a year before I started on that. And I basically shot Bombshell like right after we graduated. It set on the 4th of July. So um, I had to shoot in the summertime. So we postponed the shoot till after we graduated and then I shot it and then worked on editing it. Um, my first job outside of school was actually in background casting okay. where you cast background actors. Um, so the people who stand around like the background of scenes. Um, so that was an interesting experience. What do you look for in a background actor? You don't really, I mean, you just look for, like, whatever specific look. It's really about look, you know, because yeah. people aren't, like, saying lines or anything. So it's, like, you need to look for a specific look that, like, the director or the casting director or the agency or whatever 
wants for a scene. Um, so you're mainly just making phone calls to people whose headshots you're looking at. Um, but yeah, I was doing that job up until I got hired to do the next part. And then I quit that job and moved to DC, um, to make that movie. I gotcha. I gotcha. Wow. Very cool. A big leap from uh, background casting to directing the next part. Um, and then following that, then you made Leaders of the Pack, which is an incredible film. Uh, I thought it beautiful. And Alaska also is on uh, my bucket list of places to visit. Um, how did you get involved in that? That's a Nat Geo production? So that movie um, is actually a branded doc. Um, branded, non-branded, meaning there's no brand featured in the film, but we were able to make it because a brand supported it. And basically, the next part premiered at Tribeca, and it won like a special jury mention there. And um, Tribeca Film Festival, you know, they're affiliated with Tribeca Digital Studios, which is their branded content wing, and they basically pair filmmakers with brands um, to tell stories. So they reached out to me because of the next part, um, asked me to pitch an idea mm -hmm. um, that sort of fit the scope of the project they wanted to make, which was like follow an amazing, you know, young woman out in the world doing something cool. <laughs> and um, I've always been pretty fascinated with photographers um, and knew Katie Orlinsky's work. So Katie Orlinsky is the photojournalist that we follow in that in that film. Um so I basically pitched Katie, um, and we eventually got greenlit. Um, and Katie at that time was covering the Iditarod. Um, she was doing a ton of different projects in Alaska. Um, but specifically, we were filming in like January or something. And that's when people are, you know, at the height of training for the Iditarod, mm -hmm. um, because it happens um, in the winter. And so we followed her out to cover her covering that. What was that experience like? I mean, just being a part of uh, the behind the scenes of the Iditarod and meeting uh, the musher and everything. Is Her name is Kristen Knight Pace. Yeah. Yeah, she was an incredible person also. Kristen is amazing. Um, she's such a badass and just like a person who emanates warmth and light, you know? Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. I think initially the crew went out for like five or seven days or something, and then I went out by myself to shoot the Iditarod. Mm -hmm. Um so overall, I didn't really spend that much time with them, but um, it was like a dream come true doc project, you know what I mean? Um, a world I would never have probably come across if it weren't for that film. Um, and everyone was so amazing to follow and just get to know and kind of understand their crazy way of life a little bit. Um, so it was really, really cool. And then what is the Actually She Can um foundation or a company whatever so that was the brand that supported the project okay, okay. um and they basically are into like uplifting millennial women so they were the ones who came up with the concept uh for the series there were three different films that were commissioned and then supported the, the creation of the films no oh, very cool and katie orlinsky's photography on that is amazing also i looked up her photos from the Iditarod, and they're just incredible images. Yeah, yeah, she's wonderful. She, her work's really excellent, and she has an incredibly varied portfolio in terms of the sort of stuff she's covered. Um, so I was, it was pretty inspiring to get to work with her on that project. Speaking on women photographers and women filmmakers, I know you and I both share a love for Barbara Koppel's work, uh, specifically Harlan County, USA. Yeah, sort of filmmakers like her... 
um, have been really inspiring um, to watch in terms of, you know, classic, you know, direct cinema, verite type documentary filmmaking. Yeah. And she's, I mean, she's from Scarsdale, New York. Um, and, you know, to inject herself into 1970s Kentucky, into a very conservative area, and to be taking on, uh, you know, recording of a miners' strike, it's just like an incredible uh, topic to, to cover like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I love Googling pictures of her making that movie. And she's just like there at the mine, like wearing, you know, the old batteries you had to wear yeah, yeah. for mm-hmm. like the film cameras, like knee pads and stuff with like a huge camera on her shoulder, just like completely immersed yeah. in this world. It's like she's going into war with it. Yeah, yeah. And then, I mean, that, you know, again, the, uh, the real life implications of this and everything, that famous shot in Harlan County where the the scab is driving by and pulls a gun on her and her mm. cameraman. It's uh, an incredible shot there. And, you know, she's putting her own life in danger to make this movie. Yeah, yeah. I remember the first time I watched that movie, that moment just sent, you know, chills down my spine. Um, it was so powerful and so terrifying. And I don't think it, before that I had seen a moment like that captured in a documentary film before. Yeah, I don't think so either. It still is one of the most powerful images um, from yeah. all of documentary. Um, mm-hmm. And then that shot in the movie leads to that man being arrested. A warrant is put out for his arrest. Um, so I always thought, yeah. you know, it showed also the power of film and the power of documentary in a very real way that it led to the arrest of this person who normally would probably have been protected by the town and you know the small town police and all of that yeah yeah absolutely i feel like you know as filmmakers we hope our films make a difference uh whether or not they actually do but you know it's inspiring to see a lot of the time documentary films actually do lead to direct change um and that's one of the things i think is so inspiring about the medium absolutely yeah i wanted to ask you about that because your films are very, um, not necessarily political, but are on topics that, you know, you're, you can, you're pushing for change, you're pushing for people to uh, see something they might not have seen before or in a different way. Um, is that something that you think is a necessary component of a good film? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think so. Um... And also, you know, just kind of documentary versus narrative, whereas you know, narrative can still open up people's thinking and change their perception or something. Um, But documentary is very direct in that way. Yeah. And I think like, you know, in terms of social activism, for me personally, it seems like documentary is the better format Mm -hmm. to sort of approach issues than narrative. I think it's just like, it feels more organic to do that in a documentary than try to incorporate it into a narrative screenplay, you know what I mean? Without it feeling, like, obtrusive. Um, That's just my own personal struggle. Uh, I think there are filmmakers who can do it very well. But, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think that documentary is sort of the perfect format in terms of combining art and uh, social activism. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Absolutely. In a narrative film, it can feel like you're kind of beating the audience over the head if you have too much of an agenda in there or something whereas documentary exactly. you can kind of get away with it more or you know it's the point it's the purpose of it so totally on the subject of narrative film uh, you also made the film mutt um in 2017 can you give a little background on that for anybody listening just what that film is about yeah so mutt is it's another movie similar to bombshell that it takes place over a day um and it's about a family that's trying to stage an intervention 
that falls apart over the course of the day and the way that the intervention falls apart is sort of instructive, um, you know, about the dynamics of this family and maybe how they ended up there in the first place. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Often I see in your work, you know, the films are often about um, people who are kind of outcasts of society in some way, whether it's a drug addict or somebody's lifestyle or um, they're gay in a very conservative world, something like that, that kind of puts them on uh, the outside. And in mud, again, I see that as the addict in a way is, um, is kind of the underdog in, in his world and of the story. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to hear other people comment on your work because you're right. Um, but I never really thought about it that way before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I do think I'm drawn to those sorts of protagonists. Yeah, which also with the documentary, I mean, so often documentaries are kind of about uh, the underdog or, or an issue that um, needs exposure or something like that. So, you know, to enter into the mainstream. Yeah, totally. And then with Mutt, that premiered at South by Southwest? It did, yes. Yeah, that's incredible. What, what was that like? It was amazing. Um, I love South by Southwest. It's such a fun festival. The programming is excellent, especially the shorts. Like I remember being so blown away by the shorts programming that year and felt like I'd seen some of the best shorts I'd ever seen, you know, all within one setting. Um, so it was it was really an honor to be there um, with that film. And uh, I think everybody should try to get to that festival at some point. It's super fun. Well, yeah, that sounds amazing. Um, and then also that was a Vimeo staff pick? Yes. W- what does that mean? How does that work? It's strictly online. It's basically sort of like a badge of approval um, that Vimeo gives to certain films, um, you know, saying we like this movie and they put it on the staff pick page and, you know, a lot of people will see it yeah. if it if it gets staff picked. So that's sort of the best part is, you know, if you get a staff pick, it's going to immediately get to a much wider audience. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, definitely. And then more recently, um, you made Mac Wrestles. Yes. Yes, Mac Wrestles. This was commissioned by ESPN? It was. Um, it was originally we received a grant for it um, from Tribeca in- Film Institute um, that's supported by ESPN. Mm-hmm. And eventually we, you know, pitched it to ESPN and they greenlit us um, for 30 for 30, um, which is one of their documentary film series. So, yes. Now with that film... You pitched them the script? Well, basically, you know, we applied to this grant um, that Tribeca Film Institute gives to docs, specifically shorts, short documentaries focused on sports stories. Mm-hmm. Um, we received the grant, and then right before we started filming, there was a huge change in the storyline. Um that we knew was just huge and was going to shift the scope of the film and we needed more funding to keep following that part of the story. So um, we basically, you know, shot some footage, showed it to ESPN, said, you know, we'd love to keep following the story uh, as an ESPN film. And they ended up picking us up at that point. Mm-hmm. What was the big, uh, what was the turning or the change in the, the narrative of the film that you needed more money for? Yeah, so our subject, Mac, um, you know, transitioned in high school and was basically, because of a Texas state law, forced to um, wrestle uh, cisgender girls as a transgender guy um, on testosterone. And there was, you know, non-surprisingly, it was Texas, a lot of controversy around this. Um, So 
Mac's senior year, he qualified for the Texas men's national team, um, which is, you know, very prestigious to be able to do that. And at that level, they don't have that rule um, about birth certificates and having to compete against the gender on your birth certificate. So Mac was going to be competing on the men's national team against um, men. And it was just sort of a huge change um, in the storyline that uh, we hadn't anticipated um, and we were really excited about. So we wanted to be able to follow Mac as he trained for nationals and then competed on the national level. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's uh, the perfect climax to that film. Yeah. How did you meet Mac? Did you know him before you started this film? We did not. Um, We basically met Mac. Um, My co-director had read an article written by Katie Barnes, who is an ESPN reporter, that um, was really excellent. And we were super compelled by Mac and, you know, watched a bunch of videos of him on YouTube and uh, were just, like, dying to meet him and see if he would let us, you know, share his story. And we originally reached out to Katie, um, who was initially pretty protective of Mac and the story, which made sense Mm -hmm. and um talked to katie you know explained who we were who what our intentions were um katie ended up becoming our executive producer on the film um and katie connected us with mac and his grandmother nancy and we had an initial call with them to just see if you know it seemed like a fit and it did um and so we sort of you know agreed to run with it on that call and then went out and met mac you know a month or two later i think well, uh, what was it like uh, filming this story um, with the backdrop being Texas and I imagine more, uh, you know, very conservative uh, community and everything? I mean, it was filming that movie was um, it was another, you know, wonderful experience going out there to film it. And um, it was the first time I had ever filmed a documentary with teenagers. So that was really interesting. It was like really fun, but also like we're working with teenagers who like, (laughs) we don't even know where they are sometimes, you know what I mean? So, um, and it was, it was, it was great. Um, and Mac and Nancy, I'm just continue to be like, I think they're both amazing people. Mm -hmm. Um, and they were very forthcoming, you know, they gave us, um, basically full access and really opened themselves up to us very quickly having just met us, which is, you know, a huge privilege as a filmmaker. Um, And so, yeah, going out and filming the movie was was a great experience Um, overall, yeah. Was there any um, controversy surrounding the filming, like at the wrestling meets or anything like that? Any backlash from from the public? There wasn't. Um, You know, that exists in the film. Um, We filmed... We began filming after state after states um, in which Mac had won in the state championship in girls wrestling, and there was a lot of anger and vitriol around that when it happened. Um, and ESPN had sent someone there to cover it and had a ton of archival footage gotcha. that uh-huh. we incorporated into the film, so you see that. Um, but uh, it's not something I actively filmed unfolding. You know, we definitely ran into challenges um in terms of access not with mac and nancy but with other people who didn't really want to go on the record Mm -hmm. um because of the controversy surrounding the story Mm -hmm. so there was there were issues but you don't see them in the film because we there were things that we couldn't film that we wouldn't be given access to yeah Yeah, it makes sense 
Um, and then the other two ca- kind of characters in that film, are they his grandmother and his father? Yes, his grandmother, Nancy, um, his grandfather, Roy, and then his father, uh, Marco, is also in the film later in the second half of the movie. Right, okay. Yeah, they, they were amazing. I mean, the grandmother is such a character herself. Yeah, she's, I love her. She's so wonderful. And with, was she, maybe I'm mistaking this, was she uh, formerly a police officer or a sheriff? Yeah, deputy sheriff okay. in Dallas. Okay, yeah, when um, you see her driving in her car and she says she's she was formerly a deputy sheriff or something, it, she looks like she fits that part so perfectly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know, it's, it's crazy. Um, but again, I mean, I would jump to the conclusion that a deputy sheriff in Texas um, would be somebody who is very conservative and uh, not open to her grandson's choices and everything. And meanwhile, you know, she's his biggest advocate. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I feel like one of my favorite things about making documentaries is that, you know, in the day and age that we're in, a lot of us live in bubbles. Um, and I get removed from my bubble and put in other bubbles <laughs> yeah, um, mm-hmm. about, you know, and I, I, I get to spend time around people that I wouldn't otherwise, that um, you would have, you know, stereotypical assumptions about. I'm not speaking about Nancy in general, but just, you know, anybody. Um, if you're in a liberal community, conservative community, whatever. Um, everything is way more complicated. People are way more complicated, way more nuanced um, than I think we're being presented you know, to the other side, both ways. Absolutely. And um, it's really, it's been very good for me to be able to, you know, experience this over and over and again um, on my projects. Just sort of keep like a more nuanced view of the world. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, through documentary or photojournalism, anything like that, like you said, where you put yourself into somebody else's bubble, you know, nine out of 10 times, um, you come out of that with a deeper understanding and more complicated explanation and uh it makes you you know second guess your own thinking and um open up kind of uh you know your own thoughts on on any kind of uh, assumptions you've made for sure yeah where are you uh headed now in film i know you're working on a narrative and a documentary um or do you have any kind of larger goals in mind that this is all leading towards or are you just kind of taking it project by project just sort of project by project, um, you know, I've been working in the short format um, for the last, I don't know, ever since we graduated, um, which I, I love shorts, by the way, um, but I do want to start transitioning more to longer form storytelling, um, so that's, you know, sort of my goal within the next few years to start doing that, um, but, you know, I just love telling stories in general, um, so I want to keep doing that. Um, regardless of what it looks like. What is it about short films in particular that you like? They're just like, you really, I love, they're so challenging. Like you really have to boil storytelling down to its like most pure form. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like you can't, everything in in my opinion, everything in a short needs to matter, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. because you only have so much time, whether it's like five minutes or 10 minutes or 20, like every single choice you make needs to be intentional. And, um, I think it's like, it's so frustrating and challenging sometimes the process of making a short because of that. Um, but when you do pull it off at the end of the movie, it's like the best feeling to be like, I managed to tell a story 
you know, in this really limited time frame that hopefully has made somebody feel something. Um, and so I, I kind of love that about it. And also you can make shorts, you know, way more quickly than you can make features. So it's a great way to sort of keep making films, um, in the, as you take, spend however long it takes to like get your feature done. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Working on a feature now, um, what is it about the, the longer format that is exciting for you? Why have you chosen to try to start on a, a feature narrative? Sort of, I like, I love the freedom that comes with the larger format. And by freedom, I mean, from a storytelling standpoint, like you don't have the same restrictions I'm describing with shorts. Yep. You can explore things more deeply um, and go down avenues you might not have time to in the shorts. So, um, I like to have sort of the flexibility to do more in that format. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then, you know, just to open up the conversation a little bit, uh, why make films in general? What is it about filmmaking, um, and that process that excites you? Well, I think anybody who is working in the arts, um, has sort of a need to, like, why would you do it otherwise, you know? Um, I feel like I need to be engaged creatively. Like, I just, there's never been a time that I haven't been, and I, I can't really articulate why other than it's, like, a must. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I love film because I think it's a really unique medium in that you get to combine so many different art forms, you know, whether it's writing or music or photography, um, acting, and you know, sort of bring them all together. And it's a way to reach, you know, a huge audience. Um, and I think it's a way to share stories and point of points of view with other people that could have an impact on them, um, that might change how they see things a little bit. Um, and I think that's really exciting about the medium. Yep, absolutely. With your films, uh, whether they're branded films or not, um, they're all kind of on top on smaller topics or individuals, something like that. Um, do you have any feeling about independent film, um, documentary on kind of uh, f more focused issues like that versus bigger films like uh, like blockbusters or action films? Um, is that something that interests you at all? This is an amazing time for documentary. Like, so many incredible films are being told in the documentary form um, right now. And, you know, thanks to advancements in technology, more and more people can make films. Um, documentaries are just easier to make, um, in my opinion, in some ways. In some ways, they're also harder. But mm -hmm. you can just pick up a camera and go start shooting. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, and... I don't want to criticize blockbuster films, you know, I think, like, I love to go see a big blockbuster every once in a while, I just, it's not the sort of storytelling I'm drawn to, but I can appreciate it, and, like, I understand, like, my dad, you know, was a divorce attorney for most of his life, and, like, doesn't want to go watch some miserable drama <laughs> if he's going to go to the movies, he wants to go watch something fun yeah, um, mm -hmm. and exciting, and, like, that, to me, has value. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the ability to sort of do that if you're watching a, a bigger blockbuster. But the sort of storytelling that I'm drawn to is just not told in that format as often, and it's told in indie films and documentaries, um, sort of stuff that can go deeper and ask more difficult questions. Um, 
tends to happen in my opinion in that format. So I prefer those personally, but I don't want to say that I don't think blockbusters have value either. Don't not have value, I mean, yeah. 